0: In attending um, that Dave Ramsey, that Dave Ramsey, I can tell you right now, I just there's a couple of things I would rather do first. I would rather roll in broken glass and then wrestle an alligator because it's uncomfortable for me. I don't like to budget my money, and I like to spend it on dirt bikey things and 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 foody things and whatever, right? So guess who needs to go to the class, right? Um, so if it's something that you' if there's something that you're interested in uh it's just something that you feel like and this is an important thing that you feel like the lord's going, "Hey, buddy, hey buddy, hey buddy, or hey lady that's you that's you then then we would encourage you to to sign up for that. There is a sign up sheet it's it's in the sound room right Jill um and if it 's something that you would that you would feel like the Lord is telling you to commit to um you know it's worked for millions, literally millions of, of, of people. So um, we're, we're excited about that. So, um, but more exciting than that, this is one of my very, very favorite things in the whole wide world to do because, like, you know, the Bible talks about that we are the hands and feet of Christ in this world. And Jesus loved little kids, He loves and loves little kids. Uh, You know, he was so busy in doing the work of ministry uh, that when moms began to bring their little kids around Jesus for him to bless them, the disciples thought that they were being, you know, good disciples and good elders for Jesus. And they began to rebuke these women and say, listen, Jesus doesn't have time for your little kids. You know, he's he's healing people over here, you know. He doesn't have time for your little kids. And Jesus got upset. Jesus was upset with his disciples. And he told them, You let those children come to me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. And in how many different circumstances did Jesus tell his disciples and the people and anyone who would listen that unless you humble yourself and become like a little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Little kids have no guile, right? We learn that. We learn to be liars and deceivers even if it's just to ourselves and to God as we grow older. You know, did, did, are you doing, no, 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 absolutely not. And we lie to ourselves and we learn this. Little kids don't have that. And even if they try, they're terrible at it, right? You come in the kitchen, they're covered in chocolate sauce, right? Nutella from head to toe. Did you get in the Nutella? No, you know. And, and they just have, there's something about little kids that they're just, they're just open, there's nothing better than talking to a little kid about Jesus Christ and, and you see their little faces. It's why we love doing VBS so much. They just accept what you're saying is true. That there's, there's no, oh, yeah, well, what about this and what about that? And why would a good God? You tell them Jesus loves you and they're like, okay, you know. It's beautiful. It's precious. Uh, and so what we do... Uh, is we don't baptize our uh, babies. Uh, It's the Protestant thing, right? We don't baptize babies because we believe that what the Word teaches is that each one of us, as we get older, and we decide, hey, you know what? Like I need that financial class real bad. I need a Savior real bad. I need Jesus Christ to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to save me because I'm a sinner. And I've been doing this a long time on my own and I'm miserable and I need Jesus to come alongside of me to forgive me of my sins and to give me a new start, to give me a fresh start. And he does that. But with little children, they're innocent, they're pure. It's not that they don't do wrong things, but they just don't have that sense and so we wait until they're older to tell them about Jesus, for them to make a decision on their own, not because of us, but on their own to ask Jesus Christ into their heart, and then we baptize them. But we don't do nothing with, the, with them as little babies. In fact, it's very, 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 very important what we're about to do, because what we're going to do is we're going to have the parents come up, and we're going to dedicate Jacob Torrance to the Lord Jesus Christ today. And what we're saying here, not just the family, not just the parents and not just the family, but all of us are saying together, we're going to encourage, you guys can come on up, we're going to encourage you guys in raising your kid in the precepts of the word of God and in in faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be alongside of you in that. It's very, very important. Hi, sissy. (laughs) My brother. Children are indeed, and you will all agree with this, a gift from God. They are absolutely a gift from God. I mean, look at this. Look at this little face. Hi. They are a gift. There's nothing, there's nothing as a parent uh, that is as wonderful and as much of a treasure in your life as your kids. I mean, they are truly a gift from God. In Psalm 127.3, David writes this, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. And as believers, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. God in His goodness gives children as gifts to parents. Not only do we then, as parents, have the awesome responsibility of caring for the gift that God has given us, but also the wonderful privilege of enjoying it, right? Because children belong to God and are given by grace as gifts to parents, it is only proper and appropriate that children be dedicated back to God. We are told in First Samuel chapter one that Hannah presented her son Samuel to the Lord. And in Luke chapter two verses 22, we read that Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. And in the same way, Todd and Danielle today bring their son Jacob presenting first themselves and then their son before the Lord our God. Todd and Danielle, I call your attention to the commands of God recorded in Holy Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7 tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God's instructions are very plain. So Todd and Danielle... Love God with every ounce and fiber of your energy and teach Jacob and Kalen to do the same. And as you love God, one another and others, you will model before Jacob a wonderful love for God that he will want for himself. Todd and Danielle, by coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your son Jacob to the Lord? If so, please respond by saying we do. We do. We do. Amen. Having come freely, I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people. So that Jacob may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you, Todd and Danielle, vow, by God's help and in partnership with the church, to provide Jacob a Christian home of love and peace, to raise him in the truth of our Lord's instruction, and discipline, and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Amen. Now this is for you guys. I ask that the church would make a vow as well. So now I'll direct the questions to you guys. By being present in God's house today, do you hereby declare yourselves to be the children of God because you trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life? If this is true, please respond by saying, we do. Would you please stand? Having come freely, I ask now that you make the following commitment to those who stand before you, so that Jacob may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers. Do you vow by God's help... To be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ. To, uh, excuse me, to, for, this is to you guys, still, right? Okay, to help Todd and Danielle be faithful to God, and to help teach and train Jacob in the ways of the Lord, so that he might one day trust Him as Savior and Lord. If you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying, "We do." We do. We do. Amen. All right, now fork him over. Hi, baby. Hey, Hi. Mommy's right there. (laughs) He's precious, isn't he? Beautiful boy. Jacob Torrance, I dedicate you to the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Love you. Love you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Love you, sweetheart. Love you, my brother. All right, ushers. While we're... uh, I'm going to still want to keep the kids here. All right? Ah, not yet. I think this is a perfect time to do communion. I think we should do it right now. Uh, Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread, he passed to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood which is freely shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. And Jesus Christ, in taking what was, you know, we have to remember, guys, this was the Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. This was the same Passover meal that that Jewish people had celebrated from before they left Egypt and celebrate to this day. It was nothing new. It was all the same food. It was all the same things except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. And no doubt they had kept Passover together every single year, but this time it was different. This time it was different because Jesus Christ was pointing out to his disciples that he was indeed the Passover lamb. You see, every single year from then until now, the high priest would take a lamb, and it had to be a spotless lamb. It had to be without blemish or spot. It had to be perfect in every way. And he would take this lamb, and he would sacrifice it, and its blood would be spilled out for the sins of the people. It was called the Day of Atonement. And every single year, this thing was done. And the problem with that is that it was an imperfect sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Because every single year, year after year, and beyond that, day after day, week after week, month after month, the priests were continually offering sacrifices for sin. Why? One simple reason. The people kept sinning. They just kept on sinning. There was never a situation where someone came before a priest in the temple and said, Hey, I need to offer up this lamb or I need to offer up this goat or this turtle dove or whatever the sacrifice was for the forgiveness of sins. And then the sacrifice was offered and they went their way never sinning again. They would always go back to sin. And so more sacrifices had to be offered. And more sacrifices had to be offered. And so the Bible teaches us that in the fullness and perfection of time, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. His only Son as the spotless one. And the Bible calls him the Lamb, the the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. In the book of Revelation when John is on the island of Patmos and on the Lord's day he's worshiping and he's in the spirit. And the Lord appears to him and begins to relate to him this revelation that he wrote down into what we have today. And when he's transported into the heavenly place and he sees Jesus Christ, he describes him. As a lamb, behold, he looked as a lamb bearing the marks of slaughter. And now, obviously, John is speaking in a spiritual way and about spiritual things. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to look like like a big lamb that's all cut up. Okay? But there's something about Jesus Christ, even in eternity... That when we are with Him, when we finally see Him face to face, face to face, there's going to be something in Him and about Him that is going to resemble the Lamb bearing the marks of slaughter. And not just a Lamb or some Lamb, the Lamb. And there's going to be a recognition of that for all time and for all eternity. That Jesus is the Lamb. And so this is what He shared with His disciples on this special Passover day. And he told them, oh, I've longed to do this with you guys. I have so longed for this. He was was a few hours away from the ultimate torment and suffering. And yet he was ignoring that. He was choosing not to pay attention or focus on that at all because he was so excited about sharing this particular meal with his disciples. And in praying for his disciples, he also stepped forward in time And prayed for those who would believe. That's you and I. And he made us partners with him in this communion supper. And that's why the apostles taught the churches, as often as you do this thing, Jesus said this first, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the church has been encouraged by Jesus and then by the disciples, by the apostles, to do this thing in remembrance of Jesus Christ. To share with him in this meal as a celebration of who he is and what he has done. And what he has done. This is something that when you take this, this is a yes and amen situation. This is something to be celebrated. You know, you may have been taught in the past that when you're getting ready to take communion, you got to put your sad face on, Asher. You got to get your sackcloth and ashes going, baby. You know what I mean? Because you're, 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 you're dirt bags. You know what I mean? You know what a dirt bag you are. And and, and you and, and, and you and and so you come before the Lord and oh, I'm sorry, you know, as though He's standing over you. Make a move, punk. You know. But that's not who He is. That's not who He is. His love and His sacrifice for your sins is all-encompassing. It covers all sins for all time. Our job, our responsibility in all of this is to believe. It's not to be perfect. It's to be who you are, to believe in the one whom God sent and say, Here it is, God. Hey, it's not a pretty picture all the time, is it? But I live before you. All that I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, belongs to you. Would you receive me as I am? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so the Bible does teach that a person ought to examine themselves when they're taking communion. But not in the sense of examining yourselves and making sure that you're perfect and spotless. It's examining yourselves. Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know what he's done for you? And do you want to experience the fullness of Christ in your life? That comes through relationship, not performance. Not performance. As a husband of 21 years, I can tell you this I mess up a lot with my wife. I mean, a lot. A lot. Not as much as she does with me, but I mean, it's a lot. I mess up a lot. And I have to go back to her and I have to say, honey, what do you want? I'm sorry. Come back again tomorrow, you know. I'm sorry. But here's what happens. Here's what happens with my relationship with my wife. Nikki knows, Nikki knows, at the end of the day, I love her. Not just, not just say, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love her. She knows that because there's nobody I would rather spend time with outside of the dirt biking community. <laughs> there's no one that I would rather spend time with. I like to just be in the same room with her. You know what I mean? Just sit there and overlook. There she is. Hey, what's up, babe? I feel good. Just to be in the same house with her makes me happy. She knows this. She understands that. God knows our hearts. God knows way more about you than you know about yourself and way more about you than your spouse knows about you. He knows every single bad thought you've ever had. That's scary, right? Everything. He knows every part of your heart and all he asks of you, all he requires of you, all he wants from you is your love. That was broken in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell to sin, when they disobeyed God and sin entered into the world, what was broken that day was a beautiful daily fellowship that they shared with Almighty God. The Bible teaches us that every day in the cool of the day, God would come down and he would walk through the garden and he would have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And because of sin, that was broken because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. We are separated from God because of sin. And from the book of Genesis all the way to when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, it's the story of the redemption of that relationship. That's why the Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. The one Adam screwed it all up. And the second Adam brought us back to God. So that we can have fellowship with him. That's what this is. There's nothing more beautiful that we can teach our kids. There's nothing that's more beautiful that we can see. It's impossible for your little kid to take this in an unworthy manner. You say, hey, little Susie, (laughs) or whatever, "This this is what Jesus did. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's what this represents. They go, okay, Mommy. Okay, Daddy. You think Jesus looks down on that and sees anything other than beauty. You're mistaken. So come on up, guys. And we're going to pass this out. And here's what I would ask of you. While the elements are being passed out, just talk to the Lord. Lord, you know me inside and out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Search me, know my heart, and have fellowship with me. And he will. That was fun. I like flipping it up and switching it around. Well, for those of us who are left, we are in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and we are in chapter 19. We are picking that up today, and it's going to be short and sweet because we've already used up our whole service. And the people said... (laughs) (laughs) let's see sorry okay Exodus chapter 19 Heavenly Father we pray that you would cover this portion for us Lord as far as we get we pray that you would speak to our hearts something special Lord from you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Uh, the nation and the congregation of Israel have come now to Mount Sinai, and this is the beginning of the first covenant. This is a beginning of the covenant of the law, the covenant that was given to the people by God through the man Moses. This is very important, and it's a very important element of your faith. It's important that we understand the old covenant, because without the old covenant, we cannot correctly understand the new covenant. In other words, what we have been set free from The scripture actually states that the old handwriting of the law, the handwritten requirements that the Bible says were against us because they're contrary to us, were taken, and they were nailed to the cross. Because when we look at the perfect law of God, what we realize is that we are not perfect. And when we see all of the things that God lays out, this is what it looks like to live before me in holiness and righteousness. The Bible says for all, as somebody say with me, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is exactly what the definition of sin is, is falling short of the glory of God. That's why the Bible says that even our righteousness before God is what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. The best good deeds you will ever do compared to the holiness of God are the the rags that they would use to wrap the sores of those with leprosy. All of my righteousness, all of my good deeds are not good enough. There is no cosmic scale, my friends. There is no cosmic scale where God weighs out your good deeds versus your bad deeds. And if there's more good deeds on the good deed side, the scale goes, tips in your favor. And old St. Peter will let you in through the pearly gates. And if there's more bad deeds than there are good deeds, the scale goes that way, sorry. You can't come in. That is not the way that it works, according to the Scripture, according to the Word of God. There's one question that's going to be asked. When the great white throne of judgment comes from the sky in some way, and the sky receives like a scroll, and the Creator sits in judgment over mankind, there's one question that will be asked for each soul. Is their name found written In the Lamb's book of life. In other words, have they accepted the gift of my son Jesus Christ? Have they received that for themselves, that free gift of salvation? Because the only two ways we can be judged, there's only two ways we can be judged by God, by the deeds and works of Jesus Christ, or by our own deeds and works. Now you tell me, do you want to stand before Almighty God According to your deeds and your works, or according to Jesus' deeds and works. I'll take Jesus. I'll take Jesus for 50, Pat, you know. Oh, all day, every day. Because there is no one who can stand before God and in and of themselves be justified. And so God appeared in the cloud, in thundering, in lightning, in, in, on the mountain. His smoke rose from like a furnace. Let's, let's read the language here. Exodus chapter 19, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped bef- uh, there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord, now you watch how many times Moses walks up and down this mountain. He's like 85. He's like 85 years old. Watch, the God makes him do aerobics all day. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did. (coughs) Excuse me, can I get some water, Mom? (coughs) You have seen what I did. Hold on. Time out. <clears throat> never fails. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings <clears throat> and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, here comes the covenant, guys. Here comes the contract. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, see this? My dad, Like Pop always tells us, this is a conditional conjunction. If, then. If you keep My, my, uh, excuse me. Obey my voice. Keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me (coughs) above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now Moses is the is the uh, is the attorney. Okay, Moses is the go between between God and the people of Israel. God gives Moses the terms of the contract, the terms of the covenant. And he says, now take it to the people. So Moses came in verse 7 and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Anyone ever tell you, be careful what you wish for? All, not some, all of what the Lord has commanded and spoken, we will do. <clears throat> so Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The covenant is made. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. <clears throat> so Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, "'Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, "'and let them wash their clothes, "'and let them be ready for the third day. "'For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai "'in the sight of all the people. "'You shall set bounds for the people all around.'" Pay close attention to this, guys. "'You shall set bounds for the people all around, "'saying, take heed to yourselves "'that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base.'" "'Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. "'Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. "'Whether man or beast, he shall not live. "'And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain.'" What God is doing is He is setting up very, very specific rules for the worship. These are just the beginnings of the rules. And it starts with this. Don't come unless you're called. And do not seek or presume that you can come and approach the glory of God as a sinful people without the penalty of death. If your dog goes up and touches the mountain, you've got to shoot spotty through with an arrow, baby. Because he has, even though he's a dog and he's innocent, he's broken the law of the covenant of the holiness of God. You understand how serious this is. Now, God's not done. He's going to reiterate this again by making Moses do some more aerobics. Watch this. So Moses, verse 14, went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. In other words, stay away from each other physically. I want you to fast, to be in a spirit, in an attitude of fasting. Don't indulge in any pleasures of the flesh, because you're about to enter into worship of Almighty God, and he's a holy God, and you must be clean ceremonially when you come to him. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Wow. You getting a picture of this in your heads? You ever see a ginormous building fire? Like a huge fire where the thick, thick smoke is just rolling. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just rolling. The mountain... It's as though the mountain was on fire. And the thick smoke is just going up into the sky. And the trumpet of God. And they are, you remember the Wizard of Oz, right? You ever seen the Wizard of Oz? And they're walking down towards the thing like that. That's how they approach the mountain. And that's how we would approach the mountain if we saw and heard what they saw and heard. This is a fearful God. This is an awesome God. And who are we to approach Him? But Moses said to the Lord, oh, excuse me, I I, I skipped way down. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. I already did that. Verse 20, then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai uh, on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses, notice, to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. And when Moses gets all the way to the top of the mountain, here's what God says to him. The Lord said to Moses, Go back down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Make sure they're clean. But Moses said to God, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. What Moses is saying to God is, I I just walked all the way up here. You told me this yesterday. Remember, Lord? Remember, you told me, and we made provisions so no one could come. It's okay. You don't have to worry about it. And the Lord said to him in verse 24, away. Get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not. Let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. God is very clearly establishing the boundaries and the terms of this great and awesome covenant. You remember when they're at Caesarea and Jesus is asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Yeah, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's, you know, eating the fig or something. He goes, well, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you know. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't like Peter was just like, he was just talking. But Jesus stops him and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven, you just had a spiritual revelation. And I completely just lost the train of thought of exactly what point I was going to make. I hate when they have kids, do not do drugs. <laughs> this is what happens. <clears throat> um so Moses is, okay, what did I say? God is making, God is establishing the terms of the covenant. The people, this is what the point here, it always comes back. It just takes a while for stuff to break loose, you know what I mean? Peter, when he said that to Jesus, he just said it. He just said, well, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, no, that was a spiritual revelation. Now here's Moses, he's coming down to the people and he's saying, here's the terms of the contract. Here's the terms of the contract with God. If, if you obey all the words of the Lord, if you do what he tells you to do, if you keep the law that he gives you, then you will be his people. You'll be a royal priesthood before him and he's going to use you to be a light to the nations. Yeah, all the things that he said will do. All the things that he said will do. But then the next day, they saw the mountain and they saw the smoke and they heard the trumpet and things got real and Moses goes up and God had already established as we know do not let anyone come near the mountain he goes all the way to the top of the mountain and God says go all the way back down and tell him again don't come near the mountain lest the Lord break out against them now we're going to wrap this up so I want to read to you if you want to turn with me to the book of Hebrews the book of Hebrews chapter 12 Do you guys have in your mind a, a, a kind of a picture of that covenant with God? That first covenant with God and the fear of it. And the seriousness and the severity of it. Okay? <clears throat> now, Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews. If you've never studied the book of Hebrews, my friends, study the book of Hebrews. Because it is almost entirely about the person of Jesus Christ and how he completely fulfills all of the Old Covenant things. All of the sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple itself, everything is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, is what the book of Hebrews is about. It's amazing. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24 says this. Now he's talking to you, Christian. For you have not come to the mountain... "...that may be touched," in other words, a physical mountain, "...and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded." And here's what was commanded. "...and if so much as a beast touches the mountain..." It shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you, Christian, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of what? The new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that is of Christ, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now when it says of Abel, what he's referring to is Adam and Eve's firstborn son Cain and their secondborn son Abel both understood understood that sacrifices had to be made because of the sins of mom and dad. Remember, when Adam and Eve fell to sin, they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, which we learned last week causes rashes and are itchy. Bad move. God came down confronted them in their sin. They were cast out of the garden of fellowship with God. Remember? An angel stood guarding the way with a flaming sword that went to and fro. And then the Bible says that God covered them in animal skins. Well, in order to cover someone in animal skins, what happens to the animal? Their blood is shed, right? They are, they are killed for the first time ever in their lives. In horror, Adam and Eve look on as God takes... A lamb, a goat, whatever it was, and sacrifices it and spills its blood because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Someone has to pay. And Abel understood this very well, and so he brought forth the best from his flock. He was a keeper of flocks, and he brought forth the the best from his flocks, and he offered them as a burnt offering to God. But Cain was a keeper and worker of the field, and so he brought to God vegetables and fruits, and offered them as a burnt sacrifice and offering. And God was teaching them a very important lesson for all ages... By saying that he was pleased with Abel's offering, but he was not pleased with Cain's offering. God was not angry with Cain at the time. He simply was making the point that, Cain, I cannot accept your offering because it is not what is prescribed. There must be the shedding of blood in order for sins to be forgiven. The fruit and vegetables from your hand, good thought, they're not good enough. And Cain was angry, if you remember. Cain was angry at God, and he was angry at the situation. It's not fair. In other words, he was saying, I ought to be able to come to God on my terms. I ought to be able to worship God in the way I see fit. And God said to him, Cain, why are you upset? Why is your face downcast? What's wrong? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, know this. And this is the warning for all men, for all time. Know this. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That word there means to possess you, to control you. But God said to Cain, but you must have mastery over it. And Cain made a choice that day. He made the same choice that thousands of years later the people of Israel would make when Jesus Christ was presented to them and Pilate said, What about the man Jesus? We will not have this man to rule over us. And Cain made that same decision. And he thought instead, if I do away with Abel, then God will have to accept my sacrifice. Think of that. That's how sin twists. That's how sin warps the mind. And he says he was walking and talking with Abel in the field. Hey, how hey, was that? Oh, what's that? Oh, and, bonk. and kills him. Kills his brother. That's the blood that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That first man. That first man that said, God, I'm going to do it your way. And Jesus was the ultimate example of that when he was in the garden and he was so overcome with the power and the gravity of what was about to happen to him. Not only was he going to be beaten beyond recognition, his beard torn out, his face smashed in with fists, spit upon, his back ripped wide open, nailed to a cross the ultimate and physical pain, but he knew that his own father, the eternal father, God in heaven, whom he had never for one millisecond in the eons of eternity ever been out of fellowship with him, was going to have to turn his back on his own son. Why? Because he bore my sin. And there cannot be fellowship between a holy God and my sin. And so Jesus was cast off and rejected for me and for you. He said, Oh, God. He sweat as it were great drops of blood, capillaries bursting in his head because of the great stress, mixing with the sweat. Oh, God, if it's possible, if there's any other way that this can be accomplished, any other way, please let this cup pass from me. And that's some of the greatest words that were ever spoken. But not my will, but your will be done. This is the blood of sprinkling that you and I gather here today under. That's what this is about. That perfect blood. The blood that Jesus Christ shed for us when he said, not my will, but your will. And not my life, but their life. My life for their life. And God expects us Simply to come to him, just as you are. Remember that old hymn, just as you are, without one plea. But that, the blood of Christ, was shed for thee. And to say, God, here I am. And with all my fears and failures and faults and shortcomings, God, I believe that you accept me. And I believe that you died for me. And I just want to be a part of your kingdom and experience fellowship with you. And he will enter into your life. And he will change your life. And he will transform your life. Listen, you can't clean it up. We can't change who we are. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? The Bible is more specific. A leopard can't change its spots. But Jesus Christ will come into your life and he will mold you and make you. He will mold you and make you and conform you closer and closer into his image as time goes on. And he'll fill your heart with blessing. And he'll fill your heart with gladness. Listen, if if there's anybody here that's never asked Jesus Christ into their heart, if there's anybody here that wants to ask Jesus Christ into their heart, I'm going to be standing up here, and and you're more than welcome. Come grab me, and we'll go in the office, and and I'd love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. You can go home and call me. Okay, I'll give you my number. You can go home and talk to one of your friends or relatives that you know is born again, and they'll lead you to Christ. They'll be happy to. But Do not. The Bible talks about today being the day of salvation. You don't let this day slip by. God will offer you more chances. But today he is definitely offering you a chance. Don't let it slip by. Lord, just as I am without one plea, but that the blood of Christ was shed for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of salvation through your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for teaching us about the old covenant so we can better understand the new covenant and the privilege of it, Lord. We thank you so much, Father, for all that you've done for us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to surrender our hearts to you, Father, knowing that the thoughts that you have towards us, Lord, are to prosper our lives, not to harm us, but to give us a future and a hope. Lord, I pray and ask that you would fill our hearts with your spirit, Lord, and give us the spirit and attitude of surrender. Lord, we can't do it. We need you. And Father, we pray that you would come alongside us. And just, I pray that you would, each person here, Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to their heart and their mind right now, Lord, about whatever it is, Lord, that they need to get right before you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to understand that you will just do for them your will in such a beautiful and natural and special way, Lord God, that they will never, ever, ever regret it. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And we pray, Lord God, that our lives would be lived before you in accordance with your will, Lord, in our homes, at our places of work, in our church, with our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Dismissed. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.